We opened our new series today with the reading of Psalm chapter 23. How many of you guys knew that psalm? There should have been more hands that went up. How many of you guys memorized that psalm? When I was a kid, I memorized that, that psalm, and I always, I always loved it. And how many of you guys, when you memorize it, you memorize it in the King James Version? Really? Yeah, that's what you got to you got, you got to memorize that in the King James Version. It's the reason why I read it in the King James Version, because I memorized it in the King James Version. And I have a great affection for it, because I think there's this special beauty to it. There's this there's a special poetic uh, sense to, uh, to Psalms 23 when it's, in, when it's in the King James. And I think it is appropriate, as we open our new series with that psalm, um, a new series is entitled Shepherd, Soldier, King, and the idea behind it is we want to take a look at the life of David, the events in his life, um, and how those events inspired specific psalms or specific songs about his relationship um, with his heavenly Father, and and as we look at this, um, we will mostly be looking at events in, in David's life, as I said, and, and the song and the and the, um, and the songs that were inspired um, by those events. But today's uh, psalm that we selected is a little bit different. We chose it because I think what it does is it provides this great overview of the totality of David's life. A life that moved from, from shepherd to soldier to king. And Psalms 23, I think, reveals David's understanding of God's role uh, through it all. From the point that he was plucked out of a, a field, a, a sheep pasture somewhere, and told he would be king. Moving from from that place as he, as he entered into the, um, in, into the, the palace of, of uh, uh, King Saul and was the inspiration and, and, and sang songs for him to being rejected by Saul and, and running away and fighting battles and eventually being, having his, his destiny fulfilled as king. I look at Psalms and I really see in that him speaking to the arc of that life. From the very, very beginning when we see and are introduced to David as he's first anointed to be king. And it's with this event that I want to begin our series. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded him and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came to meet him with trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. 
But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Amadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, God's blessing over his word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we walk through your word, you have truth for us. I ask, Lord, that you would anoint the teaching to bring revelation that is inspired simply by your spirit. And you would anoint our ears and our hearts and our spirits to receive from you today. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Now as I read this story, it strikes me as, as the greatest little brother revenge story of all time. Right? Like, if not, if you're a little brother, most likely you've been picked upon. If you're the little brother with seven older brothers, there's a really good chance you were picked upon seven times 70. Right? How many of you guys are little brothers here? You gotta know what I'm talking about, don't you? See, I'm I'm the middle child, which everybody realizes is the hardest of all the children to be, right? The oldest is born, and mom and dad are like they're wonderful. The youngest is born, it's the last one, they're the baby, so mom and dad love them. I'm the middle child. And it is the hardest um, to be. How many of you are middle children? You know what I'm talking about. So the youngest child is always doted upon by mom and dad, but if you have siblings, especially older brothers, chances are you're picked upon, right? Chances are you're put down. Chances are you got noogied. That kind of thing happened to you, right? Well, in this story, you see the greatest little brother revenge story ever, right? All the brothers line up. All the brothers are, are, are being looked upon. One after another, from the oldest all the way down. And one after another rejected, rejected by Samuel to be king. And finally they bring David, and God says, this is the one. This is the one. This is the one that I have chosen. And, and he says in there, and it, 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 I think it's a wonderful phrase for most of us, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. How many of you are glad that that is the case? 
That God doesn't judge us based on our outward appearance. He doesn't judge us on, on, on the values that others see in us, but he judges us beyond that place. Here we see David chosen ahead of them all. And the starting point of this story, and the starting point of the story is where we can learn our great lesson. This great lesson that not only is, applies to David in this, but this lesson that, that applies to us. And it's really in the nature of his choosing. Think about where David was. Think about where he was when Samuel arrives. Think about where he was when they started this entire story, right? Samuel comes. Samuel at this point is the prophet of God. He's known throughout all the land. You, you saw that as he comes in, into Bethlehem. All the elders come out to greet him to find out what's going on. He, he's, he's bringing a sacrifice and he says to Jesse, I want you to come and I want you to bring your family and we're going to do this sacrifice. Do you realize the only one not there was David? David was excluded. And not only was he excluded, but he was off in a field somewhere with stinky, smelly sheep. How many of you are ever shepherds? It's a funny, funny question, isn't it? I had a friend in college. He was actually from Kenya. His name was, his, uh, his name was uh, 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 Shiamaka. And Shimaka said to me, what said to us, me and my brothers were sitting with him talking once, and he says, it is like, have you ever been a shepherd? And I thought, never been a shepherd. But being a shepherd is a very nondescript job, isn't it? It's a very nothing thing, isn't it? You're in the middle of a field somewhere. You've been rejected by your own daddy. He said, like, hey, we're going to have this big feast. You go over there in that field and sit, up, sit out there with those, with those smelly, smelly sheep in the dark by yourself, just you. I read this story and I read the choosing of David and, and, I, and I get this great insight, not just about David's situation, but about my situation. David was chosen from nothing. David had nothing. David, David, was, David, David was this guy in, in the middle of a field. Think about his station in life. He was, he was the least of the brothers. He was, he was disregarded. He was set aside. He was in a field somewhere. Think about how far he was from this idea of being a king. Like you couldn't figure out a place more further off from the place of being a king than where he was at. The least of his family. The, the one that has been set aside, the one that is, that, whose job it is to look over sheep. Can you imagine where David was at? Like, like he gets this call and he shows up and he goes from being in the field to being anointed king. When I look at the story of David, I see the choosing of God of him from nothing. There was nothing to indicate that he would ever be king or that he would be chosen for some high place or some high station. I love that as the starting point of the story of David because you understand how it deeply reflects ourselves, who we are, 
or better yet, who we were before we were chosen? Titus chapter 3 writes, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to the various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. As I look at the life of David, as I see how he was the lowest of them all, I see how he was so far away from the, from the crown, how he was so far away from the palace. He was in nothing. He, there, was, there was no reason for anyone to say he would ever be king. But God chose him. I read this description here in Titus chapter 3, and I think about, I think about the world in which we live. I, th- I, I see the faces of people all around me, and I, and, and I see the turmoil, and I see the, the, the status of their being just totally lost. And I realize that's where I was. That's who I was. I was called from nothing to receive everything. As I continue the story of David, I understand what his starting point was. But when I get to the end of that chapter, when I get to the end of that passage, I I discover something amazing about God towards David. It says, they took him out of this, this lowly place. They, they took him out of the least of them all. And he, he brought him before, before, before Samuel. And God says, this is the one to anoint. And do you see what he received in that anointing? Do you see what he got in that anointing? And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. He was taken from nothing and received everything. Think about that declaration. The anointing that David received in that moment, the, the pouring of the oil upon David to say, you will be king, wasn't just about what was to come or, or, or a position he would have, but it was about the presence of God with him. The Spirit of God poured out upon him Chosen from the fields. God knew his heart, knew who he was because he chose him according to his heart. He then provides his spirit's anointing. David received in that place. It says that the spirit of God rushed on him from that day forward. See, that's the same thing for us, right? What really matters about us being chosen from nothing? What matters is we receive from that nothing everything, and everything that we receive with the presence and the the power of the Spirit of God in our lives. Look back at Titus chapter 3, what we just read. He saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and what? The renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
In the same manner in which David was plucked from the field and he poured that oil over him and in the pouring of the oil, the Spirit of God rushed into him. That is what we have received too. That we have been taken from nothing and the Spirit of God has been poured out upon us. Jesus Christ sent his Holy Spirit for each one of us. The story of David here, the the picture of the pouring of the oil was to signify the oncoming of the Holy Spirit in his life. And this isn't a little thing. For the believer, this is everything. The power of God manifested in the life of the believer. The power of the Holy Spirit come upon us. The gift given to us. We were, we were in a place of nothingness. And then the Spirit of God has come upon us. And as a result of that, we have the, the power of spiritual renewal. We have the power of personal peace and comfort. The power of truth alive in us. The power of faith to see God's hand at work. The great gift of the Spirit of God manifested in our midst. We were chosen from nothing to receive everything. The Spirit of God has been poured out upon us. This was David's status, and this is our status. David knowing he was chosen with a heart that was fully known by God, received graciously the Spirit of God. And it was from that status, that that station, that reality, that David writes Psalms 23. It was about the relationship that he experiences with God himself because of the presence of the Holy Spirit on him. As poetically beautiful Psalms 23 is, the greatest beauty is discovered in what it reveals about, the, uh, about God's relationship with those that he has chosen from nothing to receive everything. To receive the, the abiding presence of God's Holy Spirit. Not just in David's life, but in our life. As we... I want us to remember it as we look at the description of the shepherd's relationship with David as he writes in Psalms 23. It is the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit that rushed upon David from which he writes this. When he says, the Lord is my shepherd, he writes that with the understanding that I have the presence of the Holy Spirit upon me. I'm living in this place where I have the presence of God with me that rushed upon me and was with me from that day forward, it said. That is why I think uh, Psalm 23 is the appropriate psalm to begin with as we reflect on David's life because he writes about the good shepherd not simply because he understood the ins and outs of being a shepherd because he was a shepherd, but because he writes about this intimate relationship he has with the shepherd because the Spirit of God alive in him. He was chosen to receive the presence of God. And as a result of that, he could see the great relationship unfolding with the good shepherd. Almost every step down the pathway of Psalms 23 
It illuminates the hand of the shepherd leading his flock with the staff of his spirit. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Stop there. I shall not want. There is in this phrase uh, an assurance of provision. There's a way in which you can read this in which you say, well, David, because he knew God, he makes this declaration that whatever he wants, God is his provider and God will give it to him. But I think we also have to see in here, and I think this is actually the more appropriate way in which you read this, we need to see a construct of contentment. Too often we read a promise like this and we emphasize the getting what I want. And I think to better understand the, the relational nature of our shepherd, we have to understand that he himself is our provision. That we find a contentment in him. That we understand the declaration here is he is the reason I don't want. He is my provision. In him I find all I need. I as his, as his sheep, I as a member of his flock, do not turn my, turn, my, turn my head and look outside the pen and demand of him what's over there. Instead, I turn my head and my heart to the hand and the face of the shepherd because I acknowledge in him I have everything. The contentment of the believer begins when we have the conviction that the sole provider of all we need is the good shepherd through his spirit that is alive in us. Where do you turn for your sense of peace? Where do you turn for your sense of purpose? Where do you turn for your sense of value? Where do we turn to find security, to find comfort? Do we put our reliance upon our spouse, our kids, our job, our culture, our society? As you walk through the Psalms, you see he is the provision of all that you want. One of the great problems we have as Christians, one of the great issues we struggle with on a regular basis is because we receive the shepherd for our salvation and we look to everybody else for our provision. We feel empty inside because we were rejected by this person. We, we, we feel alone because we don't have this connection. We, we, we feel unimportant because we don't have this position. And the declaration of David who's understood the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life was, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I step into his presence, I step into him, I understand him, and in him I find all that I need. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why? 
Because he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The abiding presence of the Spirit of God that is given to us desires to lead us to places of rest and restoration. Desires to give us a peace in our hearts and in our spirits. In this life, we we find great turmoil. We find great unrest. As I look around the world in which we see even now, as I look at the people that I know who are outside a relationship with Christ, and even many of us who are inside a relationship with Christ, we are grasping for peace. We are grasping for rest. We're reaching for peace and rest in this world, and we are doing it absent the presence of God. And we, because we have been chosen by him from nothing to receive everything, we have the gift of peace when we follow the path of the Spirit. When we walk in the Spirit, when we, when we rest in the Spirit, when we follow the Spirit. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, because he leads me to places of rest, because he leads me to places of peace. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me all that, that, are, that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So often what we do is we look to him and we say, Well, if you give me this, if you give me that, if you give me this, if you give me that, then I'll have peace. Then I'll have rest. And what he's saying is, it's in me. It's coming to me. It's not about what what you get out there. It's about coming to me and understanding that I will give you rest. Guys, he doesn't want you to be in turmoil. He doesn't want you to be in fear. He doesn't want you to be in a place in which you're constantly running from place to place to place to place. He wants you to be in rest. He wants you to find peace. But the problem is, we haven't learned the lesson that David learned. We believe that it'll come if I get this. Oh, I'll be able to rest when I receive this. I'll be able to have peace when I get that. I'll be able to... I, have, I do not have want because he is my shepherd. And he leads me to places of rest. Where do we turn for our sense of peace, for our sense of purpose, for our sense of value? Where do we turn to find security and comfort? If it's our spouse, if it's our kids, if it's our job, if it's our culture, if it's our society, you will not find it. As we walk through the psalm, you see he is the provision of our want. Jesus told us that he will be our rest. He said in John 16, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Philippians teaches us that pathway to peace. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to the God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd, 
I shall not want for peace and rest because when I follow his spirit, he makes me to lie in green pastures, to walk along still waters. He restores my soul. We have to realize the provision we have in the relationship we have been given. I'm telling you, if this is not your life experience, if peace, if abiding peace isn't your experience, I have to ask you the question, why? Why aren't you coming to him? Why aren't you finding peace in him? The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. So often it's because we put our hope in others. We've put our expectations on others. We, we've looked to others to try and bring that peace to us. But he wants to lead you besides still waters. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is a provision in the psalm we might lose sight of, but understanding it here is really important. In this declaration, he's speaking of a path of righteousness. He's speaking about living in righteousness, not continuing down the pathway of sin. It is about turning our back on the things of this world and going down the path of righteousness. It's amazing how he says this, for his name's sake. So that we might reveal the holiness of God in our own lives. Speaking about sin and, and calling people to repentance is not popular today. There are, there are famous preachers who always say, you know, I don't have to talk to people about their sin. They know they're sinners. No, they don't. Everybody in our world embraces their sin as who they are. It doesn't really matter. God loves me anyways. But the Bible is really clear that we are called to a pathway of righteousness. Colossians 3 expresses it like this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once walked. When you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. There's a pathway of righteousness that leads us away from sinfulness. And we will follow that path when we allow the Spirit of God to lead us. He is leading us to righteousness. Too often we struggle in sin because we rely on our own spirituality, our own abilities to accomplish what needs to be accomplished, to, to try and live and try to overcome this sin in my life. But he's saying here, the Spirit of God will lead us on the path of righteousness. If we listen, if we turn to him, if we follow him. I want you guys to understand this. In this, we serve a living God. Too often Christians live as though God is dead and he is alive in his spirit leading us. He's alive in his spirit showing us where to go and what to do as long as we're willing to listen and as long as we're willing to yield to him. There has to be an interactive relationship with him leading us and guiding us on the path of righteousness. 
I want you to hear John Piper's description of our need to follow the leading of the Spirit to the path of righteousness. He says, a path of righteousness is a right path followed with the right attitude. But the Bible by itself will not change our attitude. That is why David said God leads us in paths of righteousness and why Paul said in Romans 8.14, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We must not only have revelation from outside, namely the Bible, we must also have transformation in the inside by the Holy Spirit. The Word of God and the Spirit of God together provide the leadership we need. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I can follow the path of righteousness. The Spirit is in you. The Spirit is guiding you. The Spirit is leading you. Do you take time to hear him? Do you take time to listen and to follow him? Most of the time we are frustrated in our sin because we're trying to do it in and of ourselves. But he will lead us to righteousness. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even though I, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Do you see where he says, I find a lack of fear? It's because you're here. It's not because the, the valley is gone. It's not because there's, there's nothing that's going to destroy me or there's nothing that I should, be, I should be afraid of. It's still there, but you're with me. Fear is a, can be a constant companion in this broken world. Fear of being alone, fear of lost provision, fear of sickness, fear of rejection, fear of death. Fear of the evil that creates turmoil in this world. Fear is one of the most foundational feelings that we have as humans. How many of you can remember as a child being afraid of the dark? Being afraid of what was in the closet? Being afraid of what was under your bed? Being afraid of a noise? Fear is such a constant part of the life we live. And he says, listen man, I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and not fear. Why? Because you're with me. If you're struggling today with fear, I want you to understand, God is with you. He guides us and leads us. And I love the description he used, because the rod and the staff are with you. Commentators here talk about how this is, how this is the picture of, of protection, how this is the picture of pulling you back, how this is the picture of the reassurance, the reminder that the shepherd is here. The Spirit of God reminds you daily that his presence is with you. You don't walk into any circumstance of your own accord, of your own power, but you walk into every circumstance with the power of the Holy Spirit in you to give you victory over whatever it is you're facing. There is nothing in this life, there is nothing in this world that the Holy Spirit cannot overcome. The Holy Spirit of God is extended to us to show us that we're not alone. He's here to correct us, to defend us, to protect us. We have no fear when we live in the power of the Spirit. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, because he prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. He's anointed my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
Well, there's a lot in that passage. I can continue to walk through it, but in the interest of, of time, I want to close by highlighting the closing of this psalm. I shall not want, because surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's goodness, God's grace, God's mercy is with us always. I'm not at want because he is merciful to us every single day. This is the companion to Lamentations 3 where it says, The steadfast Lord of the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every single morning. The promise of God to his sheep, to his people, and confirmed by his presence is his mercy. His goodness is always with you. There's provision always for those who come to him to follow him that dwell in the house of the Lord. You know God's mercy is here for you. His goodness is here for you every single day. You can reach out to him. You can seek him. You can know him. You can be with him. That's why I see David's last statement as both a promise from God and a commitment from David. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We have the assurance that as his flock, we are his sheep. But for us to not, not want, we have to come into his presence. We have to dwell in his house. We have to listen to his words. We have to be led by his spirit. The distance that we create in both heart and mind robs us of his provision. We are at want because we are not stepping into his household every day, stepping into his presence by the power of the Holy Spirit every single day. Too many Christians do not dwell in his presence. Too many Christians do not embrace the relationship with the good shepherd. If we are in need of his mercy today, we can experience it in his presence. If you are walking in fear, you can step into his presence. If you are walking the path of unrighteousness, you can embrace the holy presence of his spirit this morning. He has anointed you with the Holy Spirit. It means his presence is here. You dwell in his presence and he will provide all that you need. As you reflect on your life right now, are you dealing with fear? Are you dealing with loneliness? Are you dealing with sin? Are you struggling? The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. Step into his presence and receive from him his leading and his guiding and his mercy and his goodness and see all your needs met in him.